Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to another edition of Crap City Interviews. I'm Will Washington. Right to my, I guess, stage right is uh, Philip Lindsay. And below here is Righteous Reg. But joining us is a very special guest. Uh, a gentleman who um, I couldn't be more thankful for, for the opportunities that uh, that I got provided this year, that Reg especially got provided this year. Uh, but most importantly, he is... What is your official title, by the way, with All Elite Wrestling? It's multiple. Uh, some people say <laughs> I'm, I'm the music producer. Some people say I'm the music director. Um you can call me resident SoundCloud rapper. <laughs> right. so. There we go. It's Mikey Ruckus, the one and only, the legendary Mikey Ruckus. In the building. I've been telling people music supervisor. That's what I usually say. I don't know. That's pretty much the same shit, right? <laughs> it's, all, it's all encompassing, so it's mm-hmm. all good. Yes. Nah, Mikey Ruckus, so glad to finally have you here on Grapsy. Your name gets dropped a lot uh, around these parts uh, because, oh, one, uh, whether or not we're talking about music, whether or not we're talking about stuff that uh, Reg and I have had the opportunity to work on, or just anything along those lines, Mikey Ruckus' name gets brought up. Um, you're kind of the music name in pro wrestling right now. Yeah. And uh, what's kind of crazy is that it's been really just – three years that your name has been kind of a, it, even in the conversation and all of a sudden now you're kind of at the forefront of it. How, is, how have these last three years been transformative for you? Uh, it's been an interesting, interesting ride to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started out with pure excitement uh, upon the debut. Uh, you know, 2019, double or nothing. I was really excited. Uh as to where I was headed at that point after double or nothing happened, I was pretty mortified because it was like a full on revolt uh, from the fan base. Uh, uh, and, and rather than uh, rather than freak out and turn and run, uh, I took a hard look at myself, took a hard look at my own skills. I took a hard look at how I'm, how I am perceiving things and how the, uh, the fans and how the industry perceives me. And I just, I, I walk through it. You know what I mean? That's all you can really do. Um, and about halfway through things kind of started to shift and it's like, you know, I, I put myself out there regardless of whether people like me or not. Uh, and just, and focused on telling stories and that's what it all really comes down to. Well, you know, I feel like, I don't know. I, I tend to be, I, I get it. People look at me as a bit of a pacifist and I look at things in a, um, I, I, I try to look at like all angles of things. And I feel like people don't recognize what went into Double or Nothing, right? That first Double or Nothing in 2019, that essentially you're handed um, a brand new promotion with a whole new roster, most of which doesn't have theme music. And for this one show, you've got to create music for every, or not all of them, but for most of the people on that roster, you had to create new music. And it's like the task of, like right now, I imagine um, that the process is a little bit more 
um, I guess, direct, right? That you're given a talent and you get to focus on that one talent. But, like, there haven't probably been many other instances where you had to focus on that much talent at one time, correct? Uh, actually, there's <laughs> – it's always happening. Um, <laughs> we have uh, We have a lot of – uh, ebbs and flows. So sometimes mm-hmm. there's a lot, sometimes there's a little bit. Um, Double or Nothing 2019 was probably the biggest one out of the gate. And then probably the second one leading up to that was probably Double or Nothing 2022 because we had a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then behind that would probably be um, handling uh, Ring of Honor, the, the first pay-per-view along oh, with everything yeah, else yeah. that was going in leading up to that week. So we had a, a, a long stretch there where it was just like, go, 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 go. So again, uh, that was the, that was probably the big one coming out of the gate, but now it's, it's not just the talent themes. It's the, the additional projects. It's the additional promotion. It's uh, the, the different opportunities that are coming up specifically for uh, AEW branded music. So in a sense, the actual songs themselves may not always be like a full cue, but there's always there's always something happening. So, yeah, I mean, um, and I think the difference now as opposed to what it was before, like people don't realize I, I built up 10 years worth of music production on my own prior to getting there. And when I got there, all of the gear that I had was pretty much scotch taped together. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And uh and it just got to a point to where I was borderline <laughs> falling apart at at uh, at that point, and I had to make adjustments that were necessary uh, in order to step the game up. So even though it's uh, the workloads are still kind of heavy, we're kind of in a zone. We're kind of in a flow. The workflow is a lot more. It's a lot tighter. Uh, it's a lot more streamlined. It's not a lot of second guessing anymore. It's not a lot of worrying about. Uh, things that I don't need to worry about anymore. So there's along with the trial by fire, you come out of the other side and you're a lot wiser and you know how to take steps as opposed to, you know, just trying to figure everything out the first time around. I don't know if that answers the question, but (laughs) it's really kind of a, a loaded question when you think about it. And I haven't really thought about the process too much over the time. Every now and then I'll think about, geez, like how it was in the very beginning and, and uh, and we're just kind of running. We're running full steam ahead, and it's been that way for three years. But um, there's been a huge, huge learning curve all the way around. Right. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I'm kind of interested to how you got to the point. How did you How did you get on the radar to even become that guy? Well, uh, I you know I was doing music in MMA back mm-hmm. from, from 2010 to 2015. Okay. You know and. And again, in 2010, late 2010, I needed supplemental income. Uh, you know, I was my entire personal life was starting over. I had just gotten mm-hmm. married, uh, remarried for the second time. And, uh, you know, I was working. I had all little. Shout out Mrs. Ruckus, by the way. Yeah, yes. shout out Mrs. Ruckus. She, <laughs> she hustles too. So, but, um, Definitely. you know, we were just kind of starting over and I was completely starting at the bottom. Uh, I was working as a manager for Best Buy at the time. And uh, I needed supplemental income and uh, working in in a management position for a big box retail. You're there close to 70 hours a week on average. So there's really no time to go and try to find another hourly job someplace. So I just decided I was going to do music. My original goal was to set out to do music for the WWE. But at Mm -hmm. the time, that was the only real promotion that was prominent in 2010. And I was so heavily into mixed martial arts uh, with the UFC and all of these other things like that. I wasn't really, I didn't really have my eye on pro wrestling all that much. So I just decided to start from the bottom and I was making music for regional fighters, amateur fighters on the local scene here on the East coast and just networked and networked and networked and allowed that to kind of parlay and snowball into other things. Uh, within a year and a half of starting that journey, I was having music played in the UFC. So I, you know, and I just kind of feel, I felt like I have to put my nose to the grind. I was terrible at it at first. And I, you know, if people thought I was bad, you know, at double or nothing 2019, man, 
the, their left shoulder will fall off just listening to them. <laughs> <laughs> you know but again it was a learning process so right around 2015 2016 that market in MMA started to dry up a little bit and that's when I noticed the independent wrestling scene was really kind of blowing up so I was like you know what I started I started from nothing nobody knew my name in MMA uh, and I kind of built up to this point to where I had, had stuff uh, with World Series of Fighting and Victor Fighting Championships. Mm-hmm. You know, I helped to launch that brand. Uh, you know, uh, NBC Sports, UFC, Showtime with Bellator, all of these other kind of things that were moving. I wow. said, I'm just going to start over. I will start completely over. And I uh, jumped into uh, independent wrestling and just did the same exact thing. I networked and I networked and I networked. And it wasn't about the money because I knew I had to put in sweat equity all over again. So I was I was I didn't look to see if anybody else was doing it. I didn't look to see what anybody else was charging. I just said to myself, you know what? Fifty bucks a track. And that's exactly how I started. Fifty dollars a track. And I figured it this way. I'm going to experiment with the genres. I'm going to experiment with the storytelling. I'm going to create an opportunity to get market share. So whether somebody else was doing it or not wasn't my concern. I just wanted to be able to make these uh, these independent workers happy. And when they go into the locker room, they share it with everybody else in the locker room. I got this track from this guy. That's what I wanted. So from 2016 to uh, late 2018, we're 300 theme songs in for Ooh. independent workers all over the U.S., Going into the UK, I ended up doing deals with RevPro where we had like package deals where I was making 10, 12 tracks for them. And, and uh, you know, so it just, again, that's what it came down to. It came down to market share. I wanted people to know who I was. Um, I did not know about AEW until probably a week or two after the initial announcement. Mm-hmm. I followed Dustin Rhodes on Twitter. I saw him tweeting that how, how proud he was of his brother. And I was like, what's this? And uh, I saw the announcement of AEW and I just, I felt, I felt it was, that gig was mine. Yeah. And, you know, and what I tell artists all the time, because people tell me, ask me all the time, like, what should I do? What advice do you have? Uh, You know, what should, should I always go for the big fish? No, you don't always, you don't put all your eggs in the basket of going after the big fish. But if there's an opportunity there, it would behoove you to at least put your name in there. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. You just keep working towards uh, making things happen. And I didn't know anybody at the company. Nobody knew me. I didn't have any personal ends, nothing like that. So I've tried networking. Uh, A lot of the people that I needed to get in touch with were like ninjas. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's rare that I couldn't find. I couldn't find a way to get a hold of anybody because I'm usually really good at networking. Like, there was a point to where I, I had people hitting me up. I would, uh, you know, within the journey, I would wake up and I would have, you know, nine, $900 in my PayPal account and have no idea where it came from. And it came from like 10 or 15 different people just dropping money. And then I have to go back and track people down because you know how it is with PayPal. People don't use their wrestler name and PayPal. They use their <laughs> real name. I'm like, mm-hmm. who the hell is this? So, so it, it, it became one of those things where I was really good at networking, but I was having a lot of issues trying to get there. So I knew Cody and Brandy were part of it. And I had made, I had put out a tweet mentioning it. And I started having some of my old co- colleagues text me and say, Hey, do you want us to try to put a word in? And I'm like, please do. Yeah. So that kind of parlayed into some of the, some people were kind of tweeting on my behalf. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just going to pick up the phone. Next thing I know, I've got NBC execs tweeting. I've got UFC fighters tweeting. I've got independent wrestlers tweeting. And that was one of the initial conversations where Brandy had reached out to me. And she said, the one thing that stood out is that, you know, we've had people all over the world hit us up and say, hey, you should pick me because of this. And for the, you're the only person that had other, speak, other people speak on your behalf. And that means a lot. And, uh, you know. It just kind of we had a conversation like my initial interview. I was in my break room of the Dollar Tree store I was running. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> That's crazy. Man. Yeah. And my staff, my staff always knew that I was wow. working on different things. They knew that I was working on uh, independent films. I was scoring. I was doing live shows with No One Hero. And so they understood that uh, Mikey, there was going to be a point where Mikey wasn't going to be there anymore. You right. Know? 
but just waiting for that time, call. <laughs> yeah, and, and at the same time, I always stayed focused on the job, but they knew that I had my eyes on on bigger things. And uh, I mean, it just happened. And and the funny thing is, I may have mentioned this one time before, but three, like two or three weeks before that initial uh, announcement that I saw about AEW, I almost walked away from music completely. Uh, I was wow. I was burned. When I mean burned out, I was burned out. You know. <laughs> working, uh, you know, 60, 70 hours a week in your own store. And then you have a queue line that's just running. So it's like 10 hours, 11 hours in the store. I go home six hours in the office. I was doing that seven days a week for close to a year and a half. Like I was really on a, a mode and I just got burned out. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this, this little piece of life that I have here with my retail store isn't so bad. I was a part of the community. I built up a team that I absolutely loved and I was seeing people, uh, you know, get promoted and move on to bigger and better things. You know, I had my regulars that I would see every day. So I was like, maybe this isn't so bad. And Mrs. Ruckus was there and was like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) She was like, dude, what are you talking about? She's like, do you realize what you're talking about giving it all away and walking away from it forever? And she was like, that would be the biggest mistake that you could ever make. And she says, if I thought that this was not going to work out for you, I would tell you. She's like, but you've got something and you need to stick. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With it, And I slept on it, went to work, didn't think anything else of it. And then a couple of weeks later, it just, it happened. And, uh, and I mean, there we are. And she was like, look at where, look at where you come from, you know, cause she saw when we got together, I didn't have anything. I was completely mm-hmm. starting over. I mean, I had, I had a two bedroom house with a couch. I didn't even have a bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, So she was there from the very beginning. She saw all of that. So she understood what I had put into it and where we had to go. So I didn't mean to get on that whole big rant there. It's just, no, that was no, great. no, no, that, no, that, that, that is great. It, no, that's great. Cause like that, the, just <laughs> thinking about that stuff kind of brings all of these stories back up. So it's right. just, it's, it's been an, it's been a pretty amazing ride. No, that's, that's an amazing uh, journey to hear. Honestly, like as an artist, that's like, an inspiring story that artists like to hear. So thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because I think we've all been in that position. I know I've personally been in that position. And uh, that's part of the reasons that I'm personally like thankful to have my wife there to be like, because sometimes you need that. You need, mm-hmm. you can convince yourself absolutely that, uh, you know what, these dreams I got, what am I doing? I'm never going to achieve those. And it, it, it's always helpful to have that one voice behind you to go, no, nah, I've watched you. I've watched you work on this. And I know that you're right on the cusp. Right. And you need to shut the fuck up and, and go and go do it. Like, and, uh, I, and I'm talking from my own experience. I've had yeah. that experience. And then sure enough, you know, you get that phone call. I don't know what it was like for you. And, and you don't have to put this out there. But uh, I, I have a story in which I would one time I was working a job that I was like okay with, but I mostly knew wasn't for me. And I had applied for this opportunity, didn't get it initially. They hired somebody else, but the person they had hired hadn't worked out. I was on the job at my uh, previous employer, and they had called me back and they had said, Hey, uh, so, you know, as it turns out, um, it sounds like. Um, the person that we had gone with didn't really work out, and we were wondering if you were still interested in the position. And on that job, I looked over, looked around, 
and I wasn't even supposed to. I wasn't even on a break. I answered on a whim, and <laughs> <laughs> I looked around and I went, "I'll take it." And that that was it. And I turned around and I was like, "All right." This is my notice right now. And I, I don't know what it was like for you, but uh, that's going to be my next question. When you got that call, uh, what what was it like? What was the moment for you that made you uh, essentially decide this is it for me and, and I am going to focus on this going forward? Yeah, so we had gotten into uh, we had gotten into deep discussions. I had had a couple of conversation with, conversations with Brandy. I had had a, a conversation with QT. At the time, that's who my direct contacts were with. And I will say this. um, I had somebody hit me up and say, contact this person. They will get you to where you need to go. And it was almost like kind of like those cryptic, like you got to find a treasure map. (laughs) You're walking down the street and it's just like some old dude that like slips you the map. (laughs) Kind of like that. And uh, and. he gave me Matt Sell's uh, cell number. So I texted Matt and I'm like, this is what I'm looking for. And Matt hit up QT and QT hit up me. And he was like, well, what are you looking for in compensation? And I said, well, we can talk about that. And then that's when the initial call came from Brandy. And uh, our correspondence after that was, was mainly, okay, how many can you do? Can you do like three or four by this date? Can you do? And then it turned to like 10 to like 15. And uh, I was like, look, like, and originally, you know, I'm sorry. I got a little bit of ADHD, so I have a tendency to jump back and forth. That's what Uh, makes the best podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Nala Rose's track was my audition track. So before we got into that conversation, they said, well, hey, let's try this one first and see and see how it goes. And and I made Nala's track in the first 24 hours. and, And I wanted to show them that not only could I handle the assignment, I can handle it quickly and consistently. The gift and the curse. Yeah. So I, I, (laughs) exactly, exactly. So I I dropped that, sent it over to them and it was a couple of days before I heard anything. And then they were like, well, how much would you charge for this? How much, which, what are your rates for this? Send over a rate sheet. So I sent over a rate sheet that broke down literally everything that I could do all the way down to like voiceovers and, uh, you know, scoring like interludes and clips like and, and things like that. And then I just said, you know, if you guys want, I'll work here forever. And I just kind of floated it out there. And um, I get a couple I get a call like maybe a week later from uh, Chris Harrington. And he was like, you know, we want to bring you on to the team. And it was like 11 o'clock at night. I was out on my front lawn. It was nice and warm outside. It was complete silence out there and when i saw the phone ring i was like shit i gotta take this so i stepped outside he's like is this a good time or a bad time i was like it's a good time he's like i just i want to know what life is like for you right now <laughs> i was like uh he's like well we want to bring you on to the team and um at that point i walked back in and i i looked at my wife and i was like this is it this is it and it still it didn't it didn't initially sink in we didn't tell a soul um, but when I went into work the next day, and this was probably mid April of 2019, so uh, Double or Nothing it's like was right before hit. Double or Nothing. Yeah, so Double or Nothing was going to hit uh, the at the end of May. So mid April was the kind the time that we kind of decided that this was all going to happen. Um, I had signed my official contract on May the first, 2019, wow. and by then I had already had a list. I was like, just give me the list of what you need, and we'll start. We'll we'll. Go we'll knock them down one at a time. And uh, I went to my employer and I, I had been working with several employees on the staff uh, to get them promoted. And I did not want to leave them hanging. Uh, we had a major inventory that was set for the end of the summer. So I had, I had put in a notice and said that my last day would be August the 1st. So I continue to work uh, for double or nothing Wow. For AEW after that, clear out the remaining independent uh, tracks that I had had on my queue at that time and finished up my work on that notice and then and walked away from all of that uh, August the 1st of 2019. So it like that whole entire that was just like a complete whirlwind. So I gave my I gave my uh, my business good notice. I wanted to make sure my people were taken care of before I left uh, because they were for me, they were family. You know what I mean? Uh, those, that staff was there when I lost my sister, 
Uh, that staff was there, you know, during uh, family emergencies and things like that. So we all and we all kind of like took care of each other. You know what I mean? And uh, the last thing that I was going to do is just kind of walk out and leave them hanging. You know, I wanted to make sure that we if this was this was a celebration for me, but I wanted to make sure that uh, before we left, our job was done. So one of the last guys that was there that I was working with was promoted to assistant manager just before I had left. And I had run into him probably three, four months ago. He runs that store now. Like he is wow. the store manager of that store. And this guy came to me on a job fair posting that I had put. And he was working. He came in working part time and minimum wage, rode his bike to, to work every day. And now he, he ended up getting his license back. He got a car. He runs that store. So those stories for me are, are absolutely fulfilling. You know what I mean? Mm. So that's kind of the nutshell in that. So, again, another uh, run on rant. But, you know, <laughs> man. I know you keep saying quick turnaround. Like that seems like you get a lot of those, like they put you through the fire over there. What is something you've worked on where you had a quick turnaround and, we, and afterwards you were like, yeah, we did that. We knocked it out of the park. I honestly, I mean, they're all quick turnarounds. Like very rarely, very rarely do we have more than a couple of days on mm-hmm. track. Um, so the average is maybe two days. Um, I would, and this sounds like a cliched answer, but I would honestly have to say that it was Adam Cole's theme Mm -hmm. just because I was flying out to, uh, to Chicago for all out. And um, I wasn't even aware, like there was kind of some talk about performing the Lucha brothers, but I wasn't sure. And in the midst of that, I was working on uh, a track for Danielson. I was working on a track for Adam Cole and I was working on both of those at the same time. And I had actually finished Adam Cole's and hadn't heard back about Danielson's and actually pushed my flight back a day just to make sure everything was going to be okay. Cause I didn't have a mobile setup at the time. I didn't want to uh, fly out there and then like, Hey, we need to fix this. And then we can't fix it. You know what I mean? So, but it, I had no idea that that song was going to take off the way it did. And I don't think anybody did. And it kind of took on a life of its own, but um, I think it was maybe two days. That's uh, crazy. I had the initial idea and the all about the boom at the top that just, for whatever reason, that was front and center in my head. And I was like, I got to come off like Zach De La Roca right there. Uh-huh. Did I realize it was going to be, become like this signature thing? I had no clue. And, you know, now it's, it's being played in, you know, I, you know, NHL hockey arenas, uh, mm. you know, football stadiums, uh, you know, major league soccer and things like that. So more power to us, you know, it, it's, great feather in our cap, but it's something that you can't, you can't plan something like that. You can try, you can try to pump a bunch of money into it. You could try to shoehorn it, but it there every now and then something just kind of hits. And it's like, I really hope we get another one like that. (laughs) And and you know, what's funny too. uh, And I had messaged you kind of like right after the first time it happened, but like a hard thing is I think when it comes to theme songs is you really can't anticipate when crowds are going to start singing along with them. Right. Like, and, and up until Adam Cole, you had really had a track where like the crowd sang along with it. And I remember I was at, um, I was in Arthur Ashe and, uh, that was, and I messaged you cause I was in that crowd and he wrestled on rampage that night. So nobody had even heard it yet. And I messaged you. I'm like, they're singing the song in the arena right now. Like the the whole crowd is doing the boom, Adam Cole, baby. And he had been on TV. That theme had been on, well, Arthur Ashe was um, September. Yeah, it was 20- only a couple of weeks. It yeah, was it was only a couple of weeks. weeks. It was late after. September. Yeah, and he debuted early September. So, like, it had only been, like, three, four weeks. And at that point, crowds were already singing along with it. They, they at least knew the hook. They knew uh, it's all about the boom, Adam Cole, baby. They were all doing it. Um, and... I feel like the only uh, so the the one closest to that to me and, and correct me if I'm wrong because you told the story a little while back about uh, actually you told it on Twitter the weekend it happened but that you had been put on a call with Tony Khan and Keith Lee about his theme song um, and that one's also really taken off I feel like that one is one that people just really really love and it's it's kind of a deviation from what we know from Keith Lee right because Keith Lee has typically um, rapped on his own theme songs mm-hmm. and. Here, you kind of came with a different flavor for what we knew for Keith Lee, but it's taken on a life of its own. People love it. It gets a big pop. The second people hear that, who am I? 
and uh, you, I've watched people around me because I've been at a lot of events this year, just doing the I am King <laughs> Lee, everybody around. Um, so that was a pretty fast turnaround too, right? Yeah, so we we actually had a couple days, maybe two or three days, and uh, and it was just it was another conversation, and and Keith and I had talked about him rapping. He's like, you know what? I haven't even thought about doing anything like that this time around. He said, um, he says, I'm completely fine with you doing it. Uh, he says, if if we get the opportunity to do it some other time down the line, he's like all for it. He said, I'm just I'm happy with the process. I'm happy with what I'm hearing. And, and I told him initially, I said, I think uh, with with you and your name just and being Keith Lee and you could do the limitless thing. There's I think there's ways we can tie this into a hook. And that was kind of my my idea when I was talking to him about it. I said, there's something that we can do, you know, and with hip hop, it's so subjective. And with with all music, of course, it's, it's subjective. But there's certain things with hip hop. A lot of times the kick and the snare always have to be up front. The 808s have to overpower. And I felt like in this one, let's pull it back just a little bit and let everything in the song breathe. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily have to be about the kick and the snare, but it's still there because when that, when that chorus hits, it's boom, it's right there, but it's everything. And, you know, and I've, I've heard tunes where the 808s just swallow up the entire track. And there's certain ones that are good for that. I mean, you take it, take for instance, like top flights theme, there's not a whole lot going on there, dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. but if you've ever been in the arena, when that 808, boom, I mean, that's like a, that's a heart flutter. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it's done by design. And it's, it's done that way because none of the other tracks have an 808 that's that heavy. There's 808s and right. other tracks, but there's certain ones you push up. There's certain ones you pull back and allow other colors in the spectrum to tell that story, you know, and it's uh, that kind of came together and uh, the, the hook for whatever it was, the who am I? And, you know, that, that sting in itself, that's something that I, when I had his name brought to me, I immediately heard it. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's Keith Lee. It's Keith Lee. Like we have to tell that story, no matter how many times you tell it. And no matter how many times or how many people know who it is, you still say it. I mean, it's just like a whole Petey Papa. Who am I? And that's right. exactly <laughs> what I wanted to bring to that. You know what I mean? And uh, that's just, you know, it was, it's a very strong hook and there's a reason for that. And, you know, a lot of times fans will ask, how come you have to sing on all these songs and how come he can't sing on, you know, the knee jerk reactions. There's, mm-hmm. there's always going to be an initial reaction to something that people aren't familiar with. And it's always like the 20, 20, 80 rule. 20% will always support it. 20% will always hate it. And the other 60% will look at it and, and be on the fence and be influenced by a number of things. Maybe they like the song, but they don't like the artist. Maybe they mm-hmm. like the song, but the people that they follow hate it. So ah, I hate it too, you know, or maybe they're not really into it, but they see everybody else likes it that they follow. So then they like it too. So there's a lot of different things that kind of play into that. Um, and it's just, a, it's just a realm of kind of working through those things. You know, Tony and I had spoken a long time ago about uh, AEW music being prominent in popular music. So there's a reason why I'm on I'm, I'm doing lyrics on some of these songs. Right. You know, when you have a band like Rage Against the Machine or Tool or Slipknot, you know, they're going to have the same singer. So when we're being when our music is being exposed to people outside of the wrestling bubble and it says all elite wrestling, we want some familiarity there and some continuity there. So if they hear Ruckus's vocals on the all elite wrestling song all about the boom or they hear it again on. Uh, you know, Keith Lee, who am I? I am Keith Lee. They Okay, now we put a face with the name. Now we put a voice with the sound and with the audio branding, and it pulls that all together. So when there's opportunities to bring in featured artists, great. When there's there's other songs where we've kind of planned it out that my voice will be on it, great. We have a very, very broad and long-term plan for the AEW music brand, and that's where all of that kind of ties in. Love it. But on the inverse of that, though, you're also one of the most versatile voices it, that's that's ever done this in pro wrestling. <laughs> that, uh, and, and I say that because I've seen it in action, and I've seen people shocked by it. I remember at the 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 concert in Orlando, 
there were people surprised that they're like, wait, wait, wait. The same person who does the vocals on Nyla Rose's theme does the vocals on Wardlow's theme. Like, mm-hmm. they were just completely shocked by that because it, it was really two different types of vocals. And, like, the fact that you can channel a Rage Against the Machine or you can channel channel a Tool or you can channel a Slipknot for what you're looking to do. And then you can turn around and go do hip-hop. And uh, and you can channel a Lil John or things like that. Um, I think is a testament to your versatility as an artist and the fact that you can pull from so many different genres and, and get it right and get it authentic. Yeah. And, and that goes into one of the main drivers outside of just trying to create uh, supplemental income. I wanted to be able to experiment in every genre. I wanted to be able to become familiar with it. I wanted to be able to execute it in a way that people get that same reaction like wow this really sounds like this or this really sounds like that we've already got some other themes that are done that are in that are in the can that have a different style of vocal that i've done that hasn't been presented yet and there people are just going to be like you son of a bitch yeah <laughs> no honestly the one that gets me the most though and it never got used on tv but i i almost wish it did but it was when you did the uh the jericho cruise theme in the uh, the style of love boat. Like, if you've never heard that, <laughs> I swear. <laughs> like, it was so smooth. It was so slick. You would not have thought this is the same person who's, like, on the intro to the Dynamite theme every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know how I got the idea of that. Somebody, <laughs> you know, I think production had asked for something like that, like a track for the Jericho Cruise. And they were like, think love boat. And I just, I put it together. And I was like, I have to put a vocal to this. So I, sent it up and the, I sent it up and the text message I got back from Nashville was, I think I just pissed my pants. <laughs> so I was like, got him. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, it's being able to, to, to have the versatility, you know, commercial artists don't get this opportunity. Like this mm-hmm. is a very, very rare opportunity where you can experiment and dabble in different genres and uh and just doing that opens up a whole new world like it's not just about different genres of music it's how the music is presented on an engineering level like it's mm-hmm. it's almost like learning different languages all at the same time and course correcting in real time in front of the public you know what i mean so it's it's a uh, it can be daunting at times but it's like this is what we do. You know what I mean? Right. So it's not about second guessing. It's just about trying it, making decisions to try it, not second guessing it. And then going back and listening and say, if I do this again, I'm going to do it this way. I could have done it that way. Maybe I'll tweak this. Maybe I'll do that. But you come out of it a little bit smarter. You come out of it and saying, you know, I got to do that. And uh, that's what it's all about, man. Uh, right. Speaking of course correcting, though, I'm looking at I pulled up the original uh, because one of the things that. Um, wrestling themes had done for a really long time, and then for the longest time, uh, kind of didn't. Um, was evolved in front of our ears, right? Like we heard um, one of the things I, I, I always look back at is like if you ever watch like WWE from I want to say like August of '99 till like end of September, so like a month, but like eight different episodes of television, you heard the Rocks theme get tweaked like mm-hmm. every single week yeah, until I they finally that. had like that version that they were happiest with. And that was the one that came out. And and I used to love um, kind of hearing that happen. And then after a while, we stopped kind of getting that on television where it was like, we get this one theme and then that was it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I said all that to say that I'm looking at the original Double or Nothing card and thinking about all the theme songs on this show. There's only one theme song that's still in use today in its original version, and that's Best Friends. Uh, but other than that, you have evolved every single one of these themes as time has gone on. You added lyrics to Nyla Rose, uh, lyrics to Kip Sabian, um, and and so on. Uh, so one, I guess, the, one of the questions I have is the Best Friends theme. That was one of those ones that it seems like Mark 1, you just kind of hit, and that was it. Uh, um, how... <laughs> How has that one stood the test of time versus all of your other themes? For whatever reason, it like that one was just it it, it absolutely fit the vibe. And and I'll say this, that was actually the second pass 
mm-hmm. for best friends. Cause initially QT had said, Hey, they want something kind of rock based rock oriented. And uh, when I sent that first track up, he was like, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong information. I'm really sorry. Mm. I'm really, I was like, bro, it's not that bad. It's, it's okay. Like we mm-hmm. can start over. It's not a big deal. So the, when they said beastie boys, that, that just kind of like triggered. Okay. So we can make this into kind of like a, a pseudo hip hop kind of groove, just kind of thing. A little bit of, a little bit of beach guitar playing in it, uh, almost like a strat in the background. And uh, just the, I just tried to keep it simple and not overdo it. And, and I just kind of thought about the, the 80 stylings of license to ill and it just stuck. And after here, and I, you know, I did a remix for fun on one of our, uh, one of our EPs, I believe, or maybe even the lost themes, but it was not something that was ever going to be used for TV. It just seemed like it stuck. Uh, That was one that everybody liked out of the gate. And it's like, leave that one alone. That's a precious treasure. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, we talk, uh, you talked a lot about uh, kind of like immediate reactions. You're like you're this whole time we've kind of been talking about the music of this. You're the face of the AEW music brand. So when a theme comes out, people know to go right to your at. They know to at you on Twitter to be like, <laughs> run. They could, it's immediate reaction. Like if somebody has a theme over in WWE, they don't know who to go and talk to. Like they're just like, oh, well, whatever about this theme. You, it's immediate. You get all of it right as the music is happening do you take time to go through and read those do you ignore it i know you know as an artist you don't want to like read into too much of that but like you're the face of the brand and people can get immediate to you how do you handle that sure um, so that was actually that was done by design the conversations Mm -hmm. that i had had with tony you know i'm i'm a signed artist with e1 uh now uh monarch records Mm -hmm. and in the music industry uh you have to leverage your interactive, your 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 uh, your presence to the fan base. You have to leverage that to get people to care about the music. Right. You know, they care about the person first, and then they care about the music. Sometimes mm-hmm. they hear the beat, then they hear the lyrics. But you have to be out there actively promoting your product. Right. So, in a situation like this, and there's only been a handful of wrestling musicians to do it at this level over the last. 30, 40, 50 years or whatever. It's right. literally, you can count them on, on pretty much one hand. And, Hold on. Uh, let's count them. It's, it's you, <laughs> it's, it's you, Jim Johnson, Jimmy Hart, CFOs and Def Rebel. Isn't that it? Yeah. No, Dale, the, uh, oh, Dale, 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 yeah. Dale, Dale, yeah. Yeah. Dale Oliver. Uh, and there might've been one or two others. Uh, and I, I apologize if, if, uh, the names are escaping You're me. Gonna be like, How did you forget very... about Jimmy Jim Blam Blam from the Bobble Blah? <laughs> I mean, no, that that really is it, though. As far as like people that people can just truly identify the the theme and know the artist, and sometimes people get it wrong. But other than that, like that, those are really the ones, right? So, and and in so in in this happening, you've only had a handful that have done it, and for the most part, they've been kind of behind the scenes. They've been mm-hmm. classed as a production person behind the scenes. You've never had an artist slash performer doing this and interacting with the fan base. And this was a very specific topic that I had brought up in the very beginning. And I've had conversations with Tony about this because there's people in the wrestling bubble that don't understand this. There's people like, you know, why are you out there? You know, you're trying to put yourself over, you're trying to do this. It's like, no, I'm trying to get people to care about the brand. That's what it comes down to. We are starting this audio brand from scratch and there is going to be a certain subset of the fan base that will not want to hear it. Like, and look, I'm, I'm not stupid. I grew up with Jim Johnston too. Right. Yeah. So we're all sitting in front of our TVs, crisscross applesauce on a Saturday morning. And you hear that music hit. And then when you see that's the person that actually made it, because you haven't seen them before, you're just kind of like, Oh my God. You know, and it's, it's branded into your soul. To where when you're in your 20s and 30s, it doesn't matter what the audio quality sounded like back then. <laughs> it is your, it, it's everything to you. When that Bret Hart theme hits, it's lit anytime. Yes. And that was, that was Jimmy Hart, by the way. If I had, if I were to create something that literally, and, and I didn't tell anybody anything. If I said, okay, I'm going to make a song that sounds exactly like something that came out in the 80s with no context whatsoever using the same exact gear, using the same exact mastering systems, and just put that out there, people would crap all over. Like, what is this? Like, what 
what's going on? So there's a level of production quality that has changed over time. But at the same time, you have to look at it in terms of like, that's part of, that's part of the psyche. So I know that people aren't going to, they're just going to be against it, but I don't focus on that 20% that will always hate it. I focus on the people that are open and receptive to it and that want to understand that there is a face with the brand who was building this. Like I'm a, I'm a real person, you know, sometimes I wear my heart on my sleeve. Sometimes you'll get reactions from me that people will be calling me up and like, why did you say that? Just ignore, (laughs) just ignore. Like, look, man, I'm human too. Sometimes you catch me on on the wrong time. Like sometimes I don't like to be mansplained about how important my position Uh, is because I know how important my position is. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm him. I'm I'm doing it. (laughs) So it's just, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, like I understand from the music industry side, the importance of being interactive with the fan base. And if I didn't create the music to tell them if I see it, and there's times where my feed is at such a rapid pace, I don't see everything that's, right. that's being you know sent my way. I try to interact with everybody. And within the midst of that also, I'm actually timing out the show. When the show is happening, I'm logging in cue sheets and things like that. So I'm actually working while I'm while I'm interacting with the fans mm-hmm. and uh, and trying to catch the show at the same time, so you know, yeah, I, I feel like it. You know, it was done by design. It was a, a very conscious decision to say, "Hey, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to put myself out there, and I'll either, you know, I'll, I'll either get people excited about it or I'll be crucified. You know, but right. I can't, I can't be afraid of that. I'm just going to do my best. I'm going to do my best to make sure that the talent is happy." that my team is happy and then everything else kind of falls into place. And, you know, there's uh you were talking about the, uh, development of a song making it sound, uh, eighties using everything from the eighties. And I have to bring this one up cause I literally just brought it up with the team themselves. Uh, but there's one specific theme that, you know, you talk about the, the 80, 20 rule, right. Um, <laughs> and I feel like, this is one of those themes, the one I'm about to bring up, and uh, the, most people know where I'm going with this, but this is one of those ones that was like 2080 when it first hit, and now I feel like it's like 99-1, right? And <laughs> I'm, talking about, I'm talking about FTR's theme, yeah, right? Yeah. And yeah. FTR's theme was one of those themes that um, I have to, here in this space, give you like all the credit for, mainly because... I feel like no one has understood the mission to be better than than you getting the dark side of TR theme. And I say that because of the fact that that song, I've had people think that you straight up sampled um, the the chase and or straight up sampled the original Midnight Express theme. And then you posted that breakdown like, no, I did all of this, like piece by piece by piece. There's no... I didn't grab any pieces from anything here, and yet you still managed to completely replicate the sound of. I guess the chase actually came out in the seventies, right? But I guess it was more. It was most prominent in the eighties, but um, that sound of the eighties that ends up giving FTR the presentation they have today. The fact that when those uh, the opening couple of notes hit, and it is just like. The crowd goes nuts. You know, I've been in the, the audiences where people are, are are dancing in the stands. Everybody loves the theme. And again, authenticity. It sounds like something that if you didn't tell me that you made that song in 2021, I would have thought that was actually made in the 80s. Um, so the process of that one, what was that like? So let, let me start by saying the 20, if I may have come off, like with the 2020, I said 2020, 80, because that used to be a running joke. I meant 2020, 60. So like 20% will always love it. 20% will always hate it. 60% in the middle. If I said 2020, 80 and sounded like a, a, a dummy, <laughs> that was, right. I had made that joke before, kind of like that whole thing with the little giants is football is 80% mental and 40% physical. And like, yeah, I, I, heard, right. I heard 80, 80, 20. And I was like, like the Tyler Perry movie. Like, what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 60, 20% will always support, 20% will always mm-hmm. never support, and then the 60 will kind of be in the middle. So that was mm-hmm. kind of my thing. But uh, with with this track in itself, 
Um, this was one that I was actually nervous about because I knew it was a complete departure of what uh, they had previously had. Yep. It was a complete departure. Tony, Tony voiced the vision to me, and he's like, I want to do this for them. And I was like, let's do it. So when, when I went into it, the first thing I thought of was, okay, I don't want to over – you don't want to overproduce it. You don't want to add too much to it. So when you, when I pull that session up, there's maybe 10, 12 tracks in the entire session. Mm-hmm. You got your kick, your snare, your hi-hat. You know, it didn't go any, it didn't get any crazier than that. And then you had uh, a couple of bass lines. Uh, and I used, I, sometimes I'll double up my bass lines, especially with synthesizer stuff, because I want one to hold the low end subs and I want another one to kind of hit like the low mids and, um, and just kind of give a full undergirding. And then just the synths themselves. And at that point, it becomes math. Um, it's like, you know, you hear, you keep the tempo the same, but how do you, how can you rearrange that melody line to make it still like an original piece of your own, but still calling back to, uh, what you're basing your, your track off of. So, uh, and I just kind of, I put it together. I had a couple of breaks and interludes and, and Tony was like, I like this. Let's do this. Let's try this back this up here, move this. So he and I worked hand in hand and nobody knew, no, like nobody had any idea that this was happening. The FTR said they didn't hear it till it was done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and he, he walked and the last thing he sent me before he played it for them was, this is my favorite theme now. And I was like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> you know, you always like to make the boss happy. Right. Definitely. So, uh, and, and I was, I was nervous because, again going back to the whole thing where you can't really put a thumb on where a song is going to go you know everybody even some of the talent will tell me i want something where the moment it hits people know but you can't just go in saying i'm going to make something that people know like it's an organic process sometimes it hits right off the bat sometimes it takes time for it to grow on people you can't always do glass breaking you can't always Mm -hmm. do an opening guitar chord you know, you can't always do a car crash or a gunshot. You know, mm-hmm. all of these things have already been done. So it's like you have to kind of figure out a way to get the point across and be original and just let the chips fall where they may. Sometimes it might hit immediately. Sometimes it might grow. And I remember the reactions when it first dropped. The people that knew, it's kind of like if you know, you know type thing. The people that knew understood where the music was coming from. There was a vast majority of like, what the hell is this? Like, what's going on? You know? <laughs> and it's like, you just got to let it play out. And then it's like just this melting pot of TV time, exposure, great matches, great promos, great yeah, they energy. With it too. And then the music kind of setting the vibe and then people understanding, okay, this is a throwback to Midnight Express because FTR is the greatest tag team out there today. And it's like, it has all built up to that point to where when you hear Bum, 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 like the whole place, like especially the last, the last several weeks, like them bro, pops have been insane. Yes, and it's like, wow, like it's 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 blowing me back. So it's like, man, I, I, uh, I, it's it's amazing to see. I love seeing this, and I love being a part of that, and I love when the crowd gets that energy because really it comes down to telling the story and then having the crowd be involved. What's that feeling like when uh, you when music that you had one hundred percent of your hand in, and you when the crowd hears the opening beat and they pop like that? That's got to feel special. If if I was at TV every week, and people will probably be pulling me back, but if you've ever seen a dance recital, <laughs> like a kids' dance recital, and you got the you got the mom and the dance teacher at the front of the stage doing all the motions with the kids and they're doing the claps and the cheers and the moves. I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be at the sound stage. That would be me. So it's probably a good thing that I'm not at TV every week because <laughs> that's kind of how I feel. And, you know, it's just, it's that raw energy that I like to convey and, and just I'm really excited at the direction that we're going with it and that the fans are really kind of coming on board. We're, we're hitting on all cylinders right now. So, that's uh, Well, I guess um, – so I have uh, just 
couple of last questions here. So we, we uh, talked about uh, Mikey Ruckus, and one of the things Reg mentioned when, when talking about the title is, is music supervisor. And a big part of that is um, the fact that you didn't produce everything that, that AEW um, runs, but they all came across you at some point. Uh, what What's your experience been like with the themes you've had to be like kind of hands off on? As a matter of fact, we did the Who We Are album, and you were mostly hands off on that. That was, and a lot of people don't know that that we were kind of given free reign to kind of make this in our vision, and that you really gave us the floor to do so. Right. So it's it's all a case by case basis. Um, one of the things that I really like about what we're doing with our with our audio branding for our TV presentation is that it's almost like when you go to a major sporting event, right? So not only do we have our own original themes that people are coming to you know, coming to know and love, we have the popular music that people can sing along to, wave their hands to, you know, do those sorts of things. And that's very typical at a football game, at a soccer game, at a hockey game. So that presentation is very important, and uh, and having that variety is important. Um, sometimes. Uh, I'll get an idea or I'll, I'll get the idea that comes across my way about a song that needs to be licensed. Sometimes I'll do the, the groundwork to get uh, to contact the publishers. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes we're in negotiations. It's all kind of a case by case basis. Uh, sometimes uh, there are tracks that are brought in from outside that are handled by the talent themselves. And I just handle the paperwork. So it's all a case by case basis. Really, the buck stops at Tony. So there's times where Tony feels like Mikey needs to be the one to do to do this one or it, but he's always open to different ideas. You know what I mean? So it's all kind of like a melting pot. There's no real rhyme or reason or uh, a format to how we ha- have those things happen. They just kind of it's like a case by case basis. Definitely. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's about it with Mikey Ruckus, though. But I think uh, we would be remiss to not properly give props to will said a little bit in the beginning but we've worked with you as people can know i've done a theme with you page van sen i once again want to say on record thank you for the amazing opportunity i was there at double or nothing there's a video of me being very excited a video of him doing the thing that mikey was just talking yeah the video thing of what mikey just i did that in real life so yeah again thank you for that opportunity that was amazing i can't wait to page man sat has another match Uh, she's such a big superstar that she has so much going on but yeah you've given a lot of people opportunities like this that have dreamed i dreamed my whole life of having a wrestling theme going on you know the show and there's a bunch of people that you have worked with and given opportunities with that have said the same thing so we as artists really appreciate that we get to collaborate with like because you know before there wasn't a chance for outside artists to be able to have a chance to you know collaborate on the themes with the wrestlers so for you to be able to hit up so many artists give them the opportunity it's been so amazing Thank you as an artist. I hope to work with you more. I hope to work with AEW more. Hope you continue to be awesome and do these incredible things. Thanks so much, Rep. I, I, I appreciate it. And and I'll say I'll end that by saying that, you know, I was I was there. I've yeah. I've lived that path and I've had a ton of doors slammed in my face, but I've also had opportunities presented to me. And I would be remiss to not do that for others. For right. me, it's about building a talent bench. It's about no, seeing people work, seeing people be humble and have a great attitude, a great energy and a great talent on top of that and give them the opportunity to get up on that stage, to have that moment, to uh, to take that credit with them and parlay it into other projects outside of of what we just did. They can say, look, I did this. I've done this. And that's how that's how you build your credit reel. That's how you build your resume. That's how doors open. Uh, for other things. So I, I'm all for it. I'm, I've always been that way. Um, I've never been one to kind of try to shoehorn somebody in. And I've never been one to hoard everything to myself. If I see that there's somebody's tone that fits, there's somebody's presentation that fits, we're going to do it and we make it happen. Well, Mikey, thank you for being here. Um, you can follow Mikey Ruckus at Mikey Ruckus. Um, and you're also doing a podcast now. Um Oh. Yeah, we're a few more weeks away from that. It's going to be a retro. Uh, it's a retro movie and games podcast. Uh, the BKRR show. Be kind and rewind with Ruckus. Every week, we're going to pick a different date and we'll 
jump inside of the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure phone booth. We'll go back to that <laughs> date and time. The movies that were prominent in that time we'll review, and the games that were prominent at that, 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 at that time we'll play. So uh, endless different concepts and different content and just having fun talking about movies and games of our childhood and our past. That sounds so up my alley. Uh, so, again, Mikey Ruckus, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of Grapsity. <laughs> and we will see you all next time. Have a great day. Peace. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.